Mr. Hargrave. As Bert. Well, look at this. Look at us. This is a very brave new world, isn't it? First time. First time on the microphone together. How are you feeling? Um, like normal when I'm around you, Emily. Slightly in awe, but, you know, fright- <laughs> frightened about what, what might happen and what might get me into trouble. Um, and ever so slightly excited. I don't know. Re- Rebecca, Rebecca will be much missed, but I feel like this is kind of a new dawn. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's um, well, it's it's also a, a massive heat wave as well. So we're we're doing this in particularly testing circumstances. Um, it's a bit like when political parties have to t- find a new leader, isn't it? Which is also going on at the same time. You know, you're, you're losing something you are familiar with, something that maybe felt cosy. You're about to plunge into something completely unknown. You hope for the best, and you hope it doesn't all go wrong. Okay, well, at least we can take comfort in the fact that whatever happens in the next 40 minutes, it will not be uh, half so bad as whatever is unfolding in Westminster right now. That's quite like a comforting thing to take into it with you, isn't it? It's true. Also, I realise I've made Rebecca Cooney sound like Boris Johnson, which if you're listening, which Rebecca, is that's not. just for you. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, come on. We we must never, we'd never go that far. We would never go that far. Um, Rebecca, we hope that you are thriving and enjoying your new job. But for you and me, Russ, there's really only one way to find out if we are going to make an interesting and a dynamic team on the microphone. So we might as well start at the beginning. Hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Russell Hargrave, Senior News Reporter. And I'm Emily Burt, editor of Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. Each week, we sit down for a quick-fire conversation about the interesting or unusual goings-on in the charity world. And this week, we're looking at the Captain Tom Foundation, from a record-breaking fundraising challenge to the launch of a statutory inquiry. Okay, Russ, so we all know how this story begins. And it begins with a 99-year-old man and his walking frame. Yes, uh, for anyone who doesn't remember the early days of the pandemic, at the beginning of April 2020, Captain Tom Moore started walking laps of his garden in a bid to raise the modest goal of £1,000 for the NHS in time for his 100th birthday. It was a great little lockdown gesture. Um, And one of his daughters, Hannah Ingram Moore, thought it was a nice story that might get picked up by the local media. So on the 7th of April, her consultancy firm, Matrix, put together a press release heralding his mission. And her hunch was absolutely right. This story got picked up by the local paper, Bedford Today, on April the 7th, and it was then followed up by a local ITV report. Three days later, and Captain Tom was being interviewed on BBC Breakfast. And it all just totally snowballed from there. The hearts and minds of the British public were captured. By the 16th of April, Captain Tom's walk for the NHS had raised £14.6 million. It had smashed the Just Giving platform record for the largest fundraising total raised in a single campaign. And Captain Tom completed his 100 laps on that same day. It was broadcasted by the BBC. He was flanked by a guard of honour from the 1st Battalion of the Yorkshire Regiment. And the person interviewing him on that morning BBC slot said, the whole country, it seems the whole world, has been inspired by your achievement. Russ, take me back to 2020. What do you remember of the Captain Tom fever? And what do you think it was in this particular fundraising cocktail that caused such a media sensation? 
such a long time ago, wasn't it? <laughs> but it, it is incredibly memorable. And it, I think it's useful to remember that that's where it started as well, right? With um, a, 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 an old man who'd done this enormous service to his country who wanted to do something to put a little bit back. And for all the questions which come later, and I know that we're going to talk about it, um, I'm sure I speak for the whole pod when I say that, you know, you look back and you think, well, this was someone who was clearly trying to do a wonderful thing, not with any kind of great hopes and wishes. And then the whole thing ballooned and escalated out of nowhere. And I would say, I've written about this before, to some extent, you look back and you think with the benefit of hindsight, well, of course, it captured the public imagination. Mm. What was going on here? It was um, an older guy, very polite and decent very clearly had that military background which was just such an extraordinary story had that sort of quiet patriotism that us brits really like there's nothing boastful about it but we do like to see you know memories of the second world war and people in medals and honors Mm -hmm. we know that's really important um so of course it succeeded it told such a brilliant story you and i are experts at looking out for stories and you look back and think well of course this captured the public imagination so it, it doesn't surprise me a huge amount that um uh, that it that it did, although of course it took off to a degree that you know, no one would ever have anticipated. Thirty-two million quid or whatever it was in in a matter of a few months, when everyone was sitting at home looking to be inspired, and here it was. Absolutely, yeah. And we know that the, the next part of the story, of course, was that um, it, the charity said, "Okay, well, you get a bit of a charity bug, don't you? We know this. You look at sort of footballers start a foundation because mm. they want to put a bit back and stamp their name on something. So it's not surprising that Captain Tom and his family felt the same way. You get that sort of almost sense that you want to kind of carry on going. Um, so September 2020, um, you get the Captain Tom Foundation was formally launched. Um, and it's the logical next step, really. Um, that You set up a foundation because you want to do more. You don't want it to be a bit of a one-off. Yeah, absolutely. And and people really did. They had real Captain Tom fever, I think. Again, we were all at home. We were watching the news all day. And it was that definitely there was uh, – it was a time where – you're absolutely right. That kind of military, the patriotism thing was kind of being it built into all of it. There was, you know, everyone was about the blitz spirit of the pandemic and saying we're all pulling together and we'll meet again was, you know, right at the top of the airwaves. Um, it was VE Day. I mean, I don't know if you remember VE Day in 2020 when people came out and did what I'm pretty sure was uh, not socially distanced conga in the streets with all their Union Jack bunting but it was there was all these different parts which were coming together and then this old man right right at the heart of it um and so as you say then they launched the captain tom foundation and the charity started to become active as well there were things like the the walk with captain tom initiative and it 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 was interesting but I, i do also remember there were moments when these tributes took on a a decidedly trippy nature as well. There was a phase where you had murals going up all over the country. Um, And there was a father and daughter duo who created a life-sized balloon model of the veteran. Have you seen the Captain Tom balloon model? Um, I haven't. I was going to say, I was going to make a rather darker point, which was about the fact that also the police started taking action potentially against anyone who was rude about him on Twitter. Do you remember that? Did they really? No. Yeah. No, no, no. There were people who were kind of, I don't think they were quite hauled up before the beak um, because they had sort of basically tweeted something a bit kind of snarky and rude about this guy. Um, and it was felt that that was sort of so inappropriate that the law should get involved. So there is always that bit where, yeah, you're in lockdown. It's very hot weather. You've had VE Day. 
people have lost their mind slightly. And in the middle of it, I'm sorry that I didn't see the life-size balloon model. <laughs> well, you're in <laughs> luck. Check out, Russ. If you have a look in the chat, I have actually sent you a picture of the life-sized Captain Tom balloon model right now, which you can okay. um, check out by looking in the chat there. In real time. In real time. Um, if you can describe it for us, <laughs> that would be great. Okay. Thank you, Emily. That is the first time I've seen that. I mean, it's hard to describe quite what I can see here because it's not just that you have got a balloon Captain Tom complete with balloon medals and a balloon walking frame. <laughs> there are about a thousand balloons also stuck behind him on whoever's uh, driveway that is. And the person who's doing the photo has put on some sort of clown multicoloured <laughs> trousers and red shoes, especially for the photo shoot. One thing I would say as well, this is the South Wales Argus. Which, for those of us who uh, who are from 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 the old country in Wales, like I am, nothing like seeing Cardiff and then South Wales get famous for this sort of thing. That is one of the maddest things I've ever seen. I think it's amazing. I think it to- so totally encapsulates lockdown as well. You know, when everybody had been just inside their homes for three months and everyone started their own unique projects, and <laughs> you were probably doing this at home, thinking this is a very just normal hobby to do, and then you. Um, step out into the daylight blinking and you realize that you've made a life-size balloon model of, uh, you know, one of the most famous people in the country at that point. Which do you think came first? Do you think that it was a balloon-making expert who then turned his expertise to Captain Tom? Or do you think he taught himself balloon expertise because he couldn't resist the idea that Captain Tom would be the final product? Oh, I don't think that's the work of an amateur. I think that's, that's <laughs> someone who knows what they're doing. Um, And this continued throughout all of 2020, because, of course, who can forget the New Year's Eve drone display over the Thames um, of Captain Tom with his walker being uh, projected over the the O2 um, when we were all again locked down over that horrible um, COVID winter. But I say, in fact, it was shortly before that New Year's Eve fireworks display that a reporter at a certain niche sector publication, and sadly, I can't remember the name of it, um, right now, but this reporter published a story. It was a story about the Captain Tom Foundation partnering with a gin company to raise money for charity. Although the whole charity pledge part of it, as I understand, was a little light on details. Uh, Russ, I'm of course being facetious. This was your story. Are we allowed to say? Yes, of course. Over at Civil Society News, um, where once once my home and where I still have a lot of affection, um, and. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it felt, I don't know if you remember, Emily, but it, it felt like every national newspaper in the country had reproduced this press release, which said the Captain Tom Foundation is ganging up with a private gin maker and they're going to raise some money um, by selling off bottles of gin with Captain Tom's face on it. And I, I, I mean, I just thought, well, there's there's a sensible question that any sort of responsible sector journalist would ask at this point, which is how much money is actually going to go to the company and how much will go to the charity and to be honest this you'll be surprised to to hear me say this this was not this was not me being cynical this was not me trying to find snarkiness i honestly thought we'd just get a second day story out of it by saying you know and the charity hopes to make name the number you want really you know a hundred thousand pounds ten thousand pounds whatever it was we could have spun a story out and i spent a week talking to the charity who were very defensive about being asked questions, and to the gin company, who were even more defensive about a journalist phoning them up out of the blue. And then I had a look at the fundraising regulations, and I had a look at the Charity Commission guidance. And to this day, we still don't know exactly how much money has been raised for the foundation and how much has been raised for the private company. And there's a reason these things matter, right? It's to stop 
things like the Captain Tom extraordinary explosion of interest becoming something that does then get slightly sort of misused and exploited. Now, again, it's worth saying, I'm not sure there is evidence that he was exploited here, but what there isn't is any evidence of what they did, what was happening. Um, and in the end, the story was just saying, look, I've spent a week trying to find out about this stuff. And I'm worried because good financial governance says this information is at everyone's fingertips. They've signed a deal and they can reveal what the deal says. It turns out they weren't willing to put any of that into the public domain. So there's a serious point here, isn't there? There's a reason that there's regulation on these things. It's to protect charities. It's to protect consumers and to make sure that companies and charities don't wander into honest mistakes, even if the, if that's what happens. Um, and the fact they couldn't answer any questions on this was the first time that I, as a reporter, looked at it and thought, hmm, I'm not quite sure about this. And, you know, an awful lot has unraveled since there. Absolutely, it has. So let's move forward from there. So we then come to sort of February 2021. And this is when the man behind what at this point has become a huge national myth then very sadly dies. So Captain Tom died at the age of 100 after testing positive for COVID-19. And again, we saw a, a real outpouring when this sad event occurred. Tributes came in from around the world. We had messages of condolence from Buckingham Palace, from Downing Street, from the White House in America. Um, so there was a there was a bit of an outpouring of grief um, when he passed away. Uh, many more tributes coming in from people all over the UK. Um, and it was shortly after Captain Tom's death that the foundation then went on to publish its first set of accounts. And again, you went diving into those at the time. Um, can you give us a brief top line then on what it was that you found in those accounts when you first looked into them? Yeah. Uh, in fact, it would be a brief description of all the red flags that suddenly were waving in that set of accounts. Um, we found out that two charity regulators, um, the fundraising regulator and the charity commission, were already looking into the charity. We found out that... Not a huge amount of money had gone out of the door to good causes. It was only a few hundred thousand pounds against the million pounds that the charity had raised. Not necessarily a bad thing. You're starting up and you're trying to get everything right. Maybe you're not chucking money out the door straight away. But again, lots of questions to be asked about how those donations have been used so far. And then most worryingly of all, you got right at the end of that set of accounts, details about um, uh, money that had been reimbursed from the charity back to private firms where there was a controlling interest for members of Captain Tom's family. And that added up to, I think, about £50,000 in total. So again, question marks over how those donations from the public um, were being used. So you sort of look through and I say there was, there was no smoking gun that this was anything that was, that, that was sort of exploitative or wrong. But there were lots of questions that most charities would not have found themselves embroiled in in a single year. And yet here was the first set of accounts and there were there were issues arising all over the place. So listen, I, I never pass up the opportunity to look through charity accounts. I always enjoy it. But this was unusually full of information that we didn't expect. And then it wasn't just that side, of course. You know, journalists had a bit of a field day writing about this. I know Third Sector did as well. But a month later, the Charity Commission announced that it was opening, formally opening its compliance case in the Captain Tom Foundation. And that was partly on the question of these payments to uh, to, to companies linked to family members. Mm. And so this is not the same as the regulator's current statutory inquiry. This is a compliance case, but the regulator did review the foundation's accounts in February this year, along with you, Russ, and your eagle eyes. Um, and there were a couple of things that potentially might have been of interest. You said you there were some red flags in there. So there are a couple of things which might have been raising questions at the time. So 
Can you give us some examples? Yeah, so according to those accounts, which covered the first year from May 2020 to May 2021, there were reimbursements of more than 16,000 to Club Nook Limited, the company set up by Hannah Ingram-Moore and her husband. And those costs were for accommodation, security and transport relating to Captain Sir Tom uh, travelling around the UK to promote the charitable company. Um, I must admit that reference to security did raise a few eyebrows. You had the image of sort of a couple of heavies walking around with Captain Tom everywhere that he went. Who knows if that's what it actually meant. But that was 16 grand. And then it also revealed payments of more than £37,000 that were made to Matrix Group Limited. And uh, Emily, who are Matrix Group Limited? Well, if you cast your minds back right to the beginning of this episode, Matrix is that company run by Hannah Ingram Moore and her husband. It's the consultancy that put out the very first press release about Captain Tom's walk. So those payments to Matrix related to photography, to office rental, telephone and third party consultancy costs. Um, And in the financial statement, the accounts, uh, it said these costs were initially funded by Matrix Group Limited on behalf of the charitable company and they were reimbursed when suitable funds were available. And to be really clear, when the compliance case was opened, the commission said it had identified potential concerns about these payments. But the most recent update is that based on the information and evidence provided by the trustees, the commission now says that it was satisfied that the payments were reasonable reimbursement for expenses incurred by the company. And any of us who spend a lot of time reading charity commission documents will know, essentially, they will have gone to the trustees and said, can you show us that you had a policy for this? And can you show us with documents that this money was all in line with that policy? One can only assume that this is what the charity was able to do in its work with the regulator, which is why the Charity Commission says that it's satisfied that any conflicts of interest in relation to these third party payments were adequately identified and managed. Absolutely. So the Commission has looked into that and it has decided there is no problem here. And that is now a closed matter besides this statutory inquiry. By March 2021, we also found out, and this was from some coverage in the Independent newspaper, that the Captain Tom Foundation had asked the regulator for permission to employ Captain Tom's daughter, Anna Ingram Moore, on a salary of about £60,000 per year for three days a week, which the mathematicians among you will know is about £100,000 a year pro rata. Um, And she had also previously been a trustee at the charity. That was between the 1st of February 21 and the 15th of March. Also, Hannah Ingram Moore's husband, uh, Colin Ingram Moore, he, now he also became a trustee of the Captain Tom Foundation on the 1st of February 2021. And he is still a trustee today. And so in this March request, um, Hannah Ingram Moore had stepped down as a trustee, but they were now requesting to the commission to employ her as uh, chief executive, I believe it was, on that, that salary for three days a week, right? That's right. Um, and the point that was made in that original independent reporting was that um, the the equivalent size charity for that sort of pro rata salary, you might be looking at somewhere like the RSPCA, which has got decades of experience, one of the strongest brands in the country, millions and millions and millions of pounds in the bank and a very long track record of achieving stuff. This was a foundation that had been set up barely a year before. And again, you had that question mark of what well, is going to go to somebody in the family rather than through a, a, a different sort of recruitment process. So none of it kind of added up. None of it looked particularly sort of happy and healthy. Um, just to explain the background a little bit. So after the commission had requested evidence of the benchmarking exercise undertaken by the charity to work out what the salary should be, there was then a revised uh, proposal to appoint Hannah Ingram Moore. And then the salary would have been £100,000 on a full time basis. 
Um, so that would have kind of brought everything up to her working full time. But again, uh, those benchmarking processes have never been published. I, for one, would be very interested to see how they arrived at that amount. Right. But it was in July 2021 that the regulator did, in fact, refuse permission uh, for this appointment um, of Hannah Ingram Moore on £100,000 a year. They said they considered the proposed salary to be neither reasonable or justifiable. Uh, however, in August, they did say that she could be appointed as an interim CEO on a salary of £85,000 a year on a three-month rolling contract for a maximum of nine months, whilst the trustees then conducted an open recruitment process. So Hannah Ingram Moore is not the chief executive of the Captain Tom Foundation. There is a new chief executive in place now. Um, however, this summer, the regulator said that its concerns had since escalated further. And it was last month in June 2022, it announced a statutory inquiry into the Captain Tom Foundation. There's a really important thing I think to note here, and it's been forgotten a little bit. One of the things that the Charity Commission said when it announced the statutory inquiry was that it had largely resolved those questions about payments to companies run by family and said they didn't think there were any great concerns about that. And I think that's yes. really important to note because there have been so many kind of stories and theories and half-baked ideas thrown around about this charity. Um, actually, that thing which commanded so much attention, including from, from me at the time, you know, there were question marks over it and the regulator has looked at it and said, we, we think this was resolved to our satisfaction. So, you know, quite right to good for them. One of the really striking things about this statutory inquiry is that what the regulators ended up looking at, I think, is actually sort of quite a technical point. It's very easy to understand arguments like, you know, should Captain Tom's daughter be given a six-figure salary to run the charity. It's very easy to understand that. This is far more complicated. The issue actually seems to be the question of, well, various bits to do with Captain Tom, his name, his image, things like that, were um, patented um, by one of the private companies that is run by members of Captain Tom's family. And the Charity Commission is worried that the charity could have objected to that because obviously if it had the patent, then any money raised would have gone to the charity and not to a private firm. The private firm is run by somebody who also, as we said, sits on the trustee board of the charity. So there's a conflict of interest there. But that is a that is light years away from these questions of basically, you know, did did someone try and appoint themselves on a big fat salary to run it? This is quite a sort of nerdy point. And I would say when we're really focusing on this as specialists, this is not a kind of a national scandal oh my God, how, what are they trying to get away with here? This is actually exactly the sort of thing you expect regulators to do, to be all over the technical charity law detail and intellectual property, which frankly, I'd never had to think about until I saw it in, 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 the, in the statement from the Charity Commission. So we, we have come almost a full circle really from, well, we want to set up a foundation because charities are the best way to do this, and then slightly falling foul of some technical charity rules um, that I'm sure the commission are now digging into in lots of detail. And so let's get into some of these these finer points and these details, because as you say, this trademarking thing is not something I've been across either. And I think it just goes to show how easy it is to fall foul of some of the finer points of charity law. So what the Charity Commission's investigation is going to be considering is whether the trustees of the Captain Tom Foundation were responsible for any mismanagement or misconduct of the foundation, and that includes potential unauthorised private benefit, which could include any conflicts of interest between the charity and the Ingram Moore family. So charity trustees have a responsibility to identify and declare any conflicts of interest. 
And just to do a little bit of governance 101, there are basically two main kinds of conflict of interest to consider here. Firstly, obviously, you have to be mindful of financial conflicts. That's any kind of conflict that might occur when a trustee or a person or an organisation connected with a trustee could get money or could get some other value from trustee decisions. And that could include, say, employing or paying a trustee or a trustee's relative for doing work at your charity. Or in another example, it could be, say, buying goods from a business that is owned by a trustee. And another big area to think about is loyalty conflicts. And they usually crop up if a trustee is not able to make decisions which are for the best interests of the charity. An example might be um, if the charity is making decisions that involve a person or an organisation that is linked to a trustee. You're obviously going to be looking in more than one direction at once, whereas the Charity Commission would expect you to look at only the charity that you're serving at all times. Um, and that could be because the trustee is thinking about their employer. How does that employer relate to the charity? Or it could be their relatives or their friends who maybe um, stand to benefit from the charity in some way financially. So these are the sorts of things that the charity trustees have to kind of go on a bit of a crash course to learn about once they take it on, because it is so important. And so, Russ, you've already spoken about the compliance case, which is not the same as the statutory inquiry, but the compliance case uh, at the Commission, which was looking at the relationships between private companies um, with links to the Ingram Moore family and the Captain Tom Foundation. But let's just have a look at some of the things that are up for consideration in terms of this specific inquiry. Yes. So one of the big hooks um, to the Commission's statutory inquiry is questions about the fact that Shortly before the charity was set up, a business was set up called Club Nook Limited. And that business was set up by Captain Moore's daughter, Hannah Ingram Moore, and her husband, Colin. So essentially, you've got a private firm set up and the charity immediately after that. And the commission said it has become concerned about arrangements between Club Nook and the charity, as well as the trustees' decision making and how the foundation is being governed. And just to recap again, so Hannah Ingram Moore was briefly a trustee of the Captain Tom Foundation between the 1st of February and the 15th of March 2021. She, of course, then stepped down. But her husband, Colin Ingram Moore, is still a trustee of the Captain Tom Foundation. And this is how the commission puts it. They're looking at, quote, a failure to consider intellectual property and trademark issues. That's including the trademarking of variations of the name Captain Tom, even it goes into that much detail by Club Nook Limited, without objection from the Captain Tom Foundation. Absolutely. And, you know, Russ, you already, again, spoke to this slightly earlier in the podcast, but um, according to an article from the legal website Lawyer Monthly, the fact that these trademarks were registered in the name of Club Nook and not in terms of the foundation appears to have led to a situation where potentially licensing deals, such as to a drinks company and to a publisher, would have allowed Club Nook, the private company, to financially benefit from that trademark, even if money was still likely to have been raised for the foundation. Now, as you said, charities using trademarks is complicated. It's not the sort of thing that we would normally be across. However, the article says it's not unusual for a charity to set up a subsidiary company to carry out that sort of activity on the basis that charities basically have limited powers to engage in trading operation. However, usually the charity will remain in control of the deals that are struck. And usually there is no private company that would sit between the charity and between those royalty paying licensees. And that question about subsidiaries for the real charity finance geeks among us is so interesting. So many charities do have 
subsidiaries sort of stuck inside them um, where they are the, the the sole owner of that subsidiary. They control everything that they do. And that can often be quite an interesting area to work out how healthy a charity is. But in this case, and this is what, why we said it was slightly complicated and technical, we, we're getting into those distinctions between, okay, if it's a completely separate entity, what does that mean for the conflict of interest? Um, when the statutory inquiry was announced, um, there was a statement sent um, to third sector as well as all the other sort of uh, major people covering this. Um, and they, the family was saying that Club Nook, which is controlled by Ms. Ingram Moore and Mr. Ingram Moore, they said, quote, made its application for various trademarks in April 2020 prior to the formation of the Captain Tom Foundation, which, as we've said, was in May 2020. The statement also went on to say that neither Hannah nor Colin Ingram Moore were trustee directors of the Captain Tom Foundation upon its formation. So because this is a live investigation, we're obviously not going to have too much more detail on this at this stage. But I, I do wonder, does this trademarking issue potentially bring us neatly back to things like that Captain Tom Gin? And that seems to be the sort of thing that it's it, it's potentially going to be hanging on. Precisely. If you have a look at that gin, uh, which you can do, you can still go to the distillery website and buy some if you want. It has the Captain Tom signature and it has that kind of famous image, almost a silhouette of uh, of Captain Tom with his walker setting out on this 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 lap of of his garden. Um, how are those images used? Is it okay to raise money from them? And if it is okay, where's that money going? That's what the Charity Commission, I think, is really looking at. And then from there, all sorts of things will flow about how the image has been used and whether each one will fall inside or outside of appropriate charity behaviour. I think that's where we're I think that's where we've got to. Um, it is highly complex. Don't let anyone tell you that this is sort of a straightforward case, because I don't think it is at all. And I also think that we, you learn a little bit about the pressures that are on trustees here. It's a, an un a fashionable view in a way, but I feel a bit sorry for the for the board um, because on this question in particular, uh, we may be proved wrong by the final report the Charity Commission issues, but the trustees are looking at incredibly complex issues that frankly would befuddle any number of charity lawyers that you would get to advise. For a new charity just starting out, trying to get things set up nice and quickly, um, this this is a really complex area for them to have strayed into, and I, I do have some I do have some sympathy that they found themselves caught up in it. So to recap, here's what the statutory inquiry into the foundation is going to look at. It's going to ask whether the trustees have been responsible for that mismanagement or the misconduct in the administration of the charity, and whether as a result the charity has suffered any financial losses, including through any unauthorised private benefit to current or previous trustees. The investigation is also going to look into whether it adequately managed conflicts of interest, including with private companies connected to the Ingram Moore family. And the regulator is going to look into whether the charity complied with and fulfilled its duties and responsibilities under charity law. So trustees have to declare conflicts of interest under charity law. Uh, If they have an active conflict of interest, they have this role to play in managing those. So presumably, when we go back to, say, March 2021, the board was just doing its due diligence when it asked the regulator for permission to employ Hannah Ingram Moore as chief executive. That was a conflict of interest that they were managing and they worked with the regulator on that. So it's going to be looking into more of the same. In a statement made when the inquiry was first announced, Stephen Jones, who is the chair of trustees at the Captain Tom Foundation, 
said the regulator was aware of the arrangements for handling intellectual rights when the charity was founded. He said, we will, of course, work closely with the Commission in its inquiry relating to intellectual property management and continued. I note that the trustees confirmed with the Commission during the process of registration that the image rights and intellectual property rights of the name were held within a private family trust and the Commission were aware that this was always intended to be the case. Jones also welcomed the regulator's conclusion that those third-party payments which were queried in the annual accounts as part of the compliance case were reasonable and that those conflicts of interest were identified and they were managed. So listen, of course, this may all end up coming to nothing. After all, as it says on the bottom of every document the Charity Commission ever sends out, opening inquiry is not a finding of wrongdoing. In itself, the fact that regulator is getting involved with the charity simply tells you that it has some questions, it's doing some diligence, it's following up. Um, it's a statutory inquiry, which uh, obviously means the Charity Commission can now use the full force of its legal powers if it chooses to. So it clearly has been elevated a notch. Helen Stevenson, who's the chief executive of the commission, when this all started, she said, the late Captain Sir Tom Moore inspired the nation with his courage, tenacity and concern for others. It is vital that public trust in charity is protected and that people continue to feel confident in supporting good causes. She continued, we do not take any decision to open an inquiry lightly. But in this case, our concerns have mounted. We consider it in the public interest to examine them through a formal investigation, which gives us access to the full range of our protective and enforcement powers. So that's it. This now lies with the Charity Commission. And I mean, inquiries can take a while. So it's not clear when we will see any outcomes of this uh, statutory inquiry. Um, But I wonder, Russ, if you have any final takeaways at this stage. I mean, certainly on my part, I was really struck by what you said earlier about getting that charity bug. It's so easy to do. You do something good. And then, as you say, people want to help. So they set up a charity and they set up a foundation because they see it as the obvious path for continuing their good work. Perhaps this will ultimately act as a case study for why this can be a whole lot trickier in practice than that original aspiration can be. Yeah, and it's a lesson that I'm sure that, you know, if, if someone's holding training for new trustees around the country, there is an absolute wealth of case studies here to say, here are the things you need to look out for. Here's where you can reassure the Charity Commission that you're doing well. And here's where you might hit problems that you would never have anticipated. So there, there is a potential, I think, for it to be a, a genuine moment that, that people can learn from. I think it also tells us something a bit more about the country at at large as well. You were saying about the kind of the balloon Captain Toms and the drones over New Year. Um, Sometimes, listen, this country goes a little bit mad and then things crash back to earth. And that's not a bad thing always. You want to have that kind of corrective. It's nice that things become very exciting. And then it's nice that sometimes we have to adjust because the exciting things aren't as good as they seem at first glance. In the middle of it, I will say you remember the fact that Hannah Ingram Moore has been on Breakfast TV in tears defending her father's legacy and that this is sort of a family story as well. And it's been a very public fall from grace, not necessarily for the reputation of Sir Captain Tom Moore, but certainly for the foundation and the family and the people who are, who are still trying to, to deal with the consequences of it. Um, so it, it can be, yeah, this sort of vertiginous fall back to the ground sometimes and we're seeing it play out in real time the thing i'd add is the charity commission statutory inquiries they can be done in months more often they take years 18 months two years people will remember the kids company inquiry that ended up being caught up in various other court cases and it took seven years so we probably aren't going to get all the answers anytime soon um but if anyone from the charity commission is listening and wants to uh, leak their initial findings you know where to find me 
So each week, as ever, we are bringing you our good news bulletin, a positive or a quirky story that we've spotted in the sector. And this week, Russ and I would like to give a great big shout out to Andrew Carberry. Andrew is the Voluntary Income and Supporter Data Manager at Action for Children. And earlier this week, he was heralded a hero after he alerted some of his neighbours to a fire in their tower block in the early hours of Tuesday morning. So Andrew was awake in the small hours because he is currently suffering from insomnia caused by long COVID, which sounds miserable. Really sorry about that, Andrew. Um, But he was awake and he heard what sounded like an explosion. Looking out of his window, he saw a fire in the tower block down the road and he left his house to run to the block shouting fire to alert the people inside. Um, The police were called at around five o'clock in the morning and then residents were safely evacuated with only minor smoke inhalation injuries reported. So I think, Russ, you know, from both of us, it's a big snaps to Andrew for his quick thinking and also for his projection abilities, because he was clearly very loud if he was able to wake everybody up and get them out. Yeah, huge credit to him. Maybe that experience of sort of shouting at everyone at Action for Children has, has helped him helped him save some people in, in, in the meantime. Um, and in fact, he'll be able to take his uh, clearly extraordinary abilities to somewhere new, because in September, he is set to become the head of data and insight for the Thames Valley Air Ambulance. So best of luck to Andrew with his next emergency services in depth. And that's it, Russ. That's a wrap. We've done it. We've done 40 minutes together. I enjoyed that. Thank you so much, Emily, for uh, taking me through it and putting up with uh, all the tech glitches and anxiety along the way. Um, it remains very, very hot. So I'm going to be happy when this laptop is not burning its, <laughs> its way through my legs in the next five minutes. Um, but if the powers that be decide that Emily and I can be trusted to sail this ship safely for a little bit longer without being too rude, towards each other or towards any national treasures then we will be back with another episode really soon absolutely we eagerly await your verdict and in the meantime make sure you subscribe to this the third sector podcast on your favorite podcast app to be the first to know about it so until next time i'm emily burt i'm russell hargrave and thank you to our producer aiden lyons at rethink audio we'll see you next week